Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Wait, so wait, you can, you can, you can hear me, we can hear you. I can hear Joe. Joe can well, hear us. What's to stop us then? It's yeah. Do we have anything to talk about, or should we just um... yeah. <laughs> technology. technology? Nice to see you, Joe. Yes. You too. That's right. You guys did not meet last yeah. time. Yes, there no. Joe. Was um, you have yeah. a lot of books in your house. I like it. Are those books or DVDs? They're both. 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 Cool. Yeah, we can just complain about coronavirus, or yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. That gets that gets old quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It really does. I'm I'm waiting for someone to say something new about it. Yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm over it. I mean, it is what it is. I just am trying to figure out how to shoot again. That's all I care about. Yeah, yeah. You guys aren't producing any. Um, uh, I keep seeing people selling series and movies now that are shot entirely on Zoom. You're not going to do any of those, right? No, I mean that's the problem with Thunder Road. Is I, you know, I always joke the movies that I always like are the most difficult to actually pull off. So, I mean, John Wick four and five. I think we're, you know, we're a year out. Hopefully, there'll be some sort of uh, vaccine by then. Um, you know, trigger warning. I think we had a, a long call yesterday about, and I, I, you know, we're like, let's let's take it to Montana or somewhere like that. And I mean, it's it's not the hardest movie to pull off the my two most challenging and cut me off if you don't care but well we were in prep in, in mumbai so that's challenging we're not going to go back to mumbai so a giant insurance claim and rebooting that in indonesia on an island like jurassic park like island that we're going to take over so that's oh, a wow. cool story that's his, own, that's his own podcast in a city called batam and uh another one we're going to shoot in the middle east we're going to go to uh Saudi Arabia, Dubai, and the numbers are, are quite small there. And because of the dictatorships, we can control a lot of elements. Um, so we're talking about going there in uh, late fall. So oh, there's, wow. I mean, there's those moves for sure. Yeah. And then a couple of movies, we were moving to Australia and Canada, which have opened up a lot more. But yeah, I mean, all day I'm on with various countries, provinces, insur- insurers, you know, I don't know. I'm excited crazy. though. I'm like, I'm like Saudi, Kazakhstan. I'm ready for adventure. So let's go. <laughs> uh, well, that that makes sense considering the kind of stuff you do. Um, I guess I should do. Yeah. We we do terrible introductions on the show. I'm sorry. Um, oh. uh, well, we I, I just have this theory where people listen to us on the internet. They probably, you know, if they don't know who our guests are, they probably, you know, clicked on a link or googled them by the time they. But our guest, we're very thrilled to have, uh, is Erica Lee. 
um, who is a feature film producer uh, who has done some really fantastic films, Sicario, uh, One and Two, uh, Wind River. Um, let's, I, I, we should probably take a moment to hype. Um, you've, you've done a series of these films, and uh, uh, I think some of our listeners might enjoy them if they knew about them, about a character named John Wick. Um, which yeah. these, are, these are movies you should seek out. They're hard to find. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very obscure. <laughs> very obscure. Um, but uh, fantastic movies, God. Uh, and it is just a pleasure to have you on here. You, um, Thank you. Can we infer from the stuff that you have produced that there's a certain kind of film you like, or is it broader than that? Is it just, it just by chance you've done these sort of action packs? You know, it's funny. I, I, you know, we'll go through my movies that I like, and, and I sort of laugh at the list because they're all, quite soft <laughs> and um you know I, i'm a, a child of the 80s uh i think that i'm very influenced by those movies and those are the movies that i think you know when i was holding my room as a as a young child i would watch over and over again weren't action movies um i think i'm i'm your atypical action producer one because i'm a woman and i think that that is very rare i'm often the only the only lady on the scout van um, especially in John Wick world, but it's, re it's really interesting. Um, I think that I did not start out. I mean, my first internship in, in LA was working on a soap opera and I, uh, you know, started working for Basil Iwanek who owns Thunder Road 15 years ago. So it was really my kind of first real job. I worked at CA briefly and, and he was just starting Thunder Road. Uh, he was an ex Warner exec and, had we, when we started there, it was like the Clash of the Titans movies in the town and, and a little bit of action, always kind of muscular, uh, velocity kind of driven films. Um, but the reality is when we went independent about seven years ago, because we just wanted more kind of skin in the game financially, but also to make movies of all shapes and sizes. And the Warner, the Warner uh, bucket was very small. They only wanted more Clash of the Titans kind of movies. And, uh, so the first movie that we optioned was, was kind of this really small, bizarre action movie called Scorn, which turned into John Wick. Um, and, and John Wick was really the movie that never should have been. I mean, the financing fell apart a hundred times. Uh, Keanu was not a sure bet at the time. All the domestic distributors had passed on it. It was really this sort of, you again, could do a podcast completely on the, the world of John Wick and how it has become from a movie that literally nobody cared about. And I cried on set shooting because it was <laughs> one of the most filming filmic disasters of life. Um, to now I'm shooting John Wick four and five back to back and have a, you know, a TV show and talk prep and spinoffs and <laughs> video games. And it, it, that is, uh, is crazy. But, um, you know, when, when John Wick was in post, I got script of Sicario and uh, that was the second movie that we did as an independent company. So in this year and a half, these two movies kind of came out and branded us in a new way. And for a lot of reasons, like John Wick was the cool movie that made its investors money back. Sicario was fancy pants. A lot of filmmakers loved it. Actors wished they had been in it. And so we've been able to spin that into a lot of other stuff. So do I love those movies? Yes, I love scope and scale and blowing shit up. Um, I don't know if I can curse on this. Sorry if I do. No, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Feel free. Um, you can even uh, curse us. <laughs> and, you know, 
my joke is I always read scripts and, and when we're doing movies like Wind River and, and, and that does lead into coronavirus. When, when you're there at 4 a.m. On, on the cliff, hanging out in the snow, making these impossible sequences on these movies that literally make me fully gray and, and you, you look at them and you're like, how the fuck did I pull that off? Like, especially look at John McCray. I mean, that movie is insane and, and we yeah. challenge ourselves and you look at your dog, movies that are already hard to make and then you put dogs and motorcycles and Morocco and 53 year old action star, like everything you could possibly put. So I think we love a challenge. I, I think we love telling um, a lot of times true stories if we can, which, you know, Hotel Mumbai and A Private War and a lot, some of the more challenging films fell into that category. And, and those are just stuff that we love also. Um, but yeah, I think, I see, I, I see everything. I watch everything. I think we'll never be a company really that, that does. I, I, I hate to never say never, but traditionally we don't do comedy and we don't do horror. They're not the movies that I go to see in the theaters when there were theaters. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I guess I've grown to love it. And then it's like anything like Hollywood, Hollywood is, it's, um, you become a brand, right? So then I, I get a lot of action scripts. I, I get sent things in that genre and, and I love it. And it's, now it's about how do you make it different? How do you make it special? How do you make the, the female version of that or the, this version of it or the, how do you do it in space or how do you do it? This? So I think, you know, you sort of, you know, I, I've, I've kind of rolled with the business in a way. Um, we've been really prolific in the last six or seven years. I mean, I have four movies in post. Most of them are pretty, pretty dark, <laughs> all R-rated. Um, trending on dark PG-13, I guess. But yeah, it's the stuff we love. You know, I say movies with balls. Maybe that's not the most PC term, but yeah, we like to push the envelope. We like really fractured characters that are a bit grayer. And, and I just find that action thriller, advent, you know, darker stuff tells those stories. So yeah, sure. it's not by design. My mother literally called me every, every, <laughs> you know, you killed the kids again or like, I can't, you know, I, and I have a two-year-old daughter. So I laugh who, you know, Moana is on the background every day here. And I think about, you know, it would be cool if I could make a movie that she could, I guess, see before the age of 17, but um, not right now. <laughs> yeah i honestly i just got to the point where um a couple of my nieces could finally see history of violence so it was a, a long wait but worth it <laughs> yeah that's a dark uh, one <laughs> yeah no but i feel i feel you that's um but so so what are the um like what's the stuff that kind of inspired you then coming along yeah i mean the movies that you know most of the stuff that i look back at i think are are sort of probably a therapy session, right? It's, um, it's a lot of stuff that I didn't have, I think, at home. Um, I grew up, my parents were not in film buffs. Um, they divorced very young. We were sort of, I lived in, uh, I grew up in Coral Springs, Florida, which is a tiny sort of suburb, um, not, not the epicenter of the world or really anything interesting. So I definitely spent a lot of time indoors watching a lot of like QVC and whatever was on HBO, I guess. So <laughs> I think trying to escape my younger brother. That's actually, we, we are, we've been talking about doing a spinoff show called the infomercials that made me some. I could do a full hour <laughs> for sure. And I always wanted to buy something. I've still to this day never bought anything. I'm shocked, but yeah, I mean, and I, and I just turned 40 and, and I think that that sort of, 
when you think about the movies, I didn't grow up thinking that you could ever work in the movie business. That wasn't ever something that existed. Right. Um, and, you know, I, so a lot of the stuff that I look at and I'm sure are movies other people have brought up, but yeah, it's really the sort of 80s movies that, that are the ones that I think back. You know, there's, there's movies along the way that sort of as you grow up, you, you watch and you pivot and, and, and stick with you. But, um, but the bulk of the movies, I think that I, that you, that I don't know if they mold you as a person, because I think that's, um, that's a grand statement. And I don't, I don't tend to operate that way, but I think it's stuff like, you know, not that these would be my 10, but you think back and it's like, well, ground oh, yeah, give, give, us, give us one. Yeah. Sorry, which one? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think of Spaceballs is like one that I watched a thousand times and my mother asked <laughs> me if people have talked about these a lot, but no, um, no. And, and by yeah. the way, it's, it's even, even if they have, it's like, we're interested in sort of your take on them, but no, I think, uh, we, nobody we just, has mentioned Spaceballs. Yeah. This, <laughs> <Really>? is, <laughs> this is our first Spaceballs. Okay. Good. Uh, <laughs> I have. Okay. Well, yeah, no, tell me what, um, and I don't, you know, I think it's, my mother is obsessed with uh, Young Frankenstein and I think Mel Brooks and I was, you know, I was born in 1980. So she, I sort of came out of the womb loving him and thinking of, you know, watching those films. I didn't attach myself so much to Young Frankenstein. I don't know why. Um, but I, I remember, I think Spaceball, I also saw in the theater and I, I very rarely went to the theater as a kid. Um, just parents working, whatever. It wasn't their thing. So I, I I remember, and it's funny, I was texting with my younger brother about, just curious, like getting the conversation started. What are the movies that you remember us watching as kids too? And, and he said Spaceballs. And it's funny, cause I'm not a Star Wars person at all. Um, so I didn't even understand the jokes or really that the, I don't know, my grandmother lo- did love Joan Rivers, but so I don't, it wasn't, I just it wasn't remember, satirizing something you love. It wasn't satirizing it was something I love, it was just enjoyable. It was right. just wacky and, and fun and a movie that I think that both my parents, who hate, hated each other most of my youth, I think, <laughs> loved. And we remember watching over and over again. Um, and I just, I, I, so that one has, has, has stuck with me. I'm surprised no one has brought that up. Maybe because it's, maybe it is obscure. I don't know. I don't know how obscure. No, no, no. We, 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 um, we no, people, uh, people do bring up Mel Brooks, but uh, very often it's um, either Blazing Saddles or um, Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. No, almost yeah. nobody has mentioned yeah. baseball. Yeah, I think high high fidelity or uh, high fidelity. Um, high anxiety. High anxiety came up once, but uh, yeah, no. You're... Whereas history of the world, which is really funny, uh, hardly yeah. ever comes up. I did. I think this is the first time it's come up, Joe. Yeah. I've never seen that. <laughs> That's really uh, funny. And it's funny. I'm not. Yeah, like I've not. And now I think I'm knowing Star Wars more than I do as an adult, and and. Um, my husband is a star is obsessed with Star Wars. I mean, that's the reason he's in the business and Basil too. And a lot of, I think people in the film business have these movies that are, that are like the reason that they, that they looked at and that I want to do that. I don't have that. Um, I just have a lot of uh, moments that you remember. And did you see Spaceballs in theaters first or? I did. Um, but only one, I mean, I just remember watching it mostly on TV. I'd right. say the, my theater experiences were much later for most movies. Um, like I remember the first movie very clearly that I went to see with my friends alone, which was Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. An appropriate choice. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. great one to see. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's, I'm trying, it's also when you talk about the eighties, I think I'm sure you know, there's always like, all, obviously all the John Hughes movies and, 
back to the future. And, and but I, I think that Goonies, I mean, there's so many, there's really, you could do like an hour on each year there. Right. Right. Each, each year in the eighties. Um, I actually think my, someone yeah, did, a, yeah. didn't somebody do a podcast, Joe, of, of like every year of the eighties or was it every week or some, some insane thing where they were going through every movie from the decade. And, Still running. There's some crazy yeah. ones. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember like Cat's Eye. I mean, I wouldn't call that one of the movies that made me, but like being terrified forever. I mean, I think, I think it's also probably because I was, you know, in that sort of like 10 year old age or 10 going on 15 probably. And, um, everything resonated really deeply. I don't know why, but. Right. Um, well, that's cool. What's, what's, what's next? I mean, you know, you can't you can't do eighties without Tom Hanks, right? So, I would say, Flash would be a big one. I've watched a million times. I don't know what it is about Girls and Mermaids. I I watch my daughter obsess over mermaids now. There's something mystical, and I think that sort of fish out of water love story, and the way that they, and how New York was such an interesting character in that movie. Um, Sort of the wish fulfillment. I, I don't know. A, a random one too. It's brutally funny. I remember kind yeah. of. Wasn't that like? Was that the first Touchstone film, Joe? Not, not the first. Like, but but early. It was early. Very very early. And I remember kind of, uh, or maybe it was just yeah, because it was it was a PG thirteen Disney film. There was this kind of interesting thing going well, there's on. There's a little. There was a little nudity in it, at least until yeah. it got onto Disney yeah. Plus. Until recently, yes. Blurred out all that stuff. <laughs> so bizarre. Yeah. They 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 gave her hair down the back. I guess there's a scene where she went to the water and you can sort of see her butt for about five frames and they digitally lengthened her hair so you can a lot of trouble to go to for a butt. Yeah. <laughs> we all have them. I don't get it. But <laughs> but uh yeah, I remember seeing that kind of a kind of a, a grudgingly and just you know, it just won me over. It's so so very funny. Um yeah. I also had a weird thing with think- Tom Hanks where for a couple of years like I, I loved Bosom Buddies, and I always thought that who was the other guy? Peter Scolari. I was like, well, that's the guy who's going to take off this Hanks guy. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, I love those stories. I love the like the the Bill and Ted's, and then like one's Keanu and one's Alex Winter. <laughs> like, yeah, what, yes. what happened? And there's a, and there's a new one, a new Bill and Ted. I know. It just went to VOD. There it is. Yeah. I know. I oh, did it go to VOD? Is that happening? It did, they, it did they, today. They, gave up, yeah. they were tortured by that. You know, I think it's, we have a movie that's supposed to come out July 31st. It's moved five times. It's like at a certain point, marketing can't keep up and there's no windows. So it's, right. you know, it makes sense. <sighs> but um, yeah, I mean, Tom Hanks, obviously there's like a thousand. It's like, if you bring up Ron Howard, there's like a thousand, like just pick one, right? Or John Hughes, pick one. So, I mean, Splash, Big, those are both movies, I think. I think Big did a really good job too of of the wish fulfillment and the and the fun and the, sure. in New York as a character. and just you know i think it was always about what what was bigger out there than living in like coral springs florida you know and and (laughs) what you could aspire to so had you had you yeah was the sort of movie version of new york was that your only new york or had you been yeah well i had been i mean i was born outside of new york and i had been a couple times as a kid but we didn't really frequent it you know i think um i probably wanted to go shop yeah yeah exactly yeah, there is a there's a particular there's kind of an eighties vision of New York that's sort of funny. It doesn't um it's radically different from the seventies vision, which I also think of as like 
you know, French connection and stuff I, like that. On fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's always set in Times Square and there's always dead junkies and stuff like that. And in the 80s, it starts to glisten and gleam and <laughs> they start setting fairy tales in New York, which is a bizarre thing. But yeah. yeah, I would say it's funny when you look at like your favorite movies, you're like, I'm kind of fucked up. I don't know, maybe I'm terrified. And I'm like, I won't talk about Pretty Woman, but that's like certainly one of my favorites. Like, oh, I wish you would. Me? No, please do. I don't think anybody has. And and my my it's, I think it's nineties though. So I, I think we could talk about it. I mean, it's like one 90s? of my all time favorite. It, it so. my sister was about four. It's shot in eighty nine. It counts. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. My sister was obsessed with that movie, and she was fourteen. And so I never, and I saw it knowing that, and I was never able to watch it independent of my just kind of seething rage at a movie that. You know, my fourteen-year-old sister was obsessed with this movie about a, a, a John oh, and a prostitute. Yeah, and it's like, uh, it, it, uh, yeah, exactly. And and the guy who exploits her, like, Arr! but I'm I'm fascinated by, um, because a lot. I mean, that movie would not be the what it was if it hadn't been for a lot of girls loving it. I mean, what what. Um, <laughs> It is weird. You just think, you know, like, what, what was it about that movie? And I think, yeah. I think there's always, um, I think the sort of like rescue complex, probably the like, he's going to get me out of here, um, which is not a thematic we like to push anymore, but certainly back then <laughs> was, uh, you know, it was, it was Prince Charming. It was a modern day fairy tale, I think in a way. Um, and I think she was so cool and she was so hot. And yeah. like that body and that outfit and the and the like, you know, she had that great relationship with her with her friend and and I think the wish fulfillment of of yeah of like um, going into that store and and telling off those shop owners and 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 the the, the diamonds and the gold and the I don't know it, it is um I don't think it would have been as big a hit if they hadn't changed the title. Well, what was the title? What was it? Three thousand. Oh, that's not really? a good title. Yeah, it was shot. Yeah. Under, it was shot under that title. It was much darker too. I mean, really? Wasn't it originally the? Uh, yeah, it probably had an unhappy ending. Yeah, <laughs> not a good idea. Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> By the way, you could do a whole podcast on titles, like what they started is and what they ended. That's oh, um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Titles are like the bane of my existence, man. Um. But no, I think yeah, Pretty Woman is a is a. I mean, Julie Roberts, I think, is also, it's like that Tom Hanks, right? You could just, there's so many of those movies and Steel Magnolias is, an, is another favorite. And I think that, I think I also loved movies that, not only aspirational, but had a very small family, which is sort of like me and my brother and parents were divorced, that had a lot of family. Like, mm-hmm. I, Parenthood is another favorite one. And I think just the, and I always ended up watching TV or, or like being attracted to movies that had big families, big, it was just the noise, the, the camaraderie, all of that. I think Steel Magnolias is a, is, is like the one you go to when you want to cry too. So I think that female bond, you, you always, you always hope that you have friendships like that or that you can have the sort of generational connections. Um, like I would say my movies are like aspirational or like in the silo of uh, when I was probably sitting at home on Friday night wishing I had like the cool dad and Steve Martin or um, 
you know, like another like I mean, Steel Magnolias Beaches is another one. I don't know if people talk about that one, but not not you know we we get we're 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 pushing hard. We're trying to break free <laughs> of the. Um, uh, just sort of like a... the old boys film club. This definitely the first time beaches has come up as well. So <laughs> this is, this is good. This right. is good. I'm guessing wild bunch isn't going to be on this list. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it's funny though. And I do wish that I had, I didn't go to film school and I didn't have a father that showed me a lot of those movies. I wish I had, I wish that I had that. Cause now I, I do play a lot of catch up because there's so much reference to those movies and, Samurai films and, uh, you know, just kind of all, all Clint Eastwood movies. You know, I saw a couple of them growing up, but not, I find myself watching, I was rewatching Heat a couple weeks ago because it just, it's, it must be a, a touchstone or a reference point of movies that I work on and scenes that we're trying to sure, craft sure, yeah, it would be. all the time. And you're like, yeah, so it is, it is ironic that a lot of the movies that I talk about are movies that I'll likely never make or even architects that don't really exist anymore, right? Um, for the most part. I mean, Cocktail is like another movie that I love and I have no idea why. <laughs> just like, I think maybe it was part of that Tom, you know, again, Tom Cruise, who doesn't like Tom Cruise. Um, I think what I loved about that movie was the wish, the wish fulfillment of being in that exotic Jamaican location and, and meeting that guy and, and, and standing up to your parents and saying no. And I loved the shoe, how strong she was and how she was just kind of like, fuck you, I'm going to raise this baby on my own. I don't know. You know, it's just, there's no real reason, right? It's just movies that, that I think inspire you even in that moment or, right. or, or why. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's very strange. Why? The, so um, I, don't, I don't know if this is going to be that entertaining to your mass audience, but no, no, it's like let's let's <laughs> you know we'll, we'll we'll dig deep. We'll figure out why you like these films at the end and uh, <laughs> send you a bill. Um, but I the exactly. first the first movie I ever wrote, uh, Brian Brown was in, and we shot in El Paso, and I was down there for a few days. And I remember we would go out, uh, a small crew of us would go to bars. And um, I don't know if it's still the same for him, if that film still has the residents this many years out, but this was like the mid nineties. So what, what was cocktail? Like 90, like late 80s or, yeah, yeah. So it was still pretty fresh. You could not walk into a bar with Brian Brown without having the bartenders just lose their minds. Cause I guess there aren't a lot of movies that, you know. <laughs> yeah. That song too. Don't you feel like that song still, if you heard it, you would be brought back to that moment immediately. I don't know. Um, I would be. Was it Kokomo? Um, it was the Beach Boys song? I, I've never seen the film. Oh, you've never seen it? Okay. <laughs> now you're going to go back and watch it and you're going to go, what are you talking about? Um, uh, one, of the, one of the good things about doing this, uh, this podcast is that we've, we've brought uh, many movies into the uh, orbit of Josh that we ordinarily wouldn't look at. I'm still not sure I'm going to see Cocktail, but, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's... You know, I bet you can watch it, though, with your wife. It is kind of fun... You know, I think also in yeah. quarantine, in quarantine, you're like, I don't know, you kind of want to watch things that are not so. Uh, that is true. Yes. You, know, you don't want to. Um, sometimes you, you don't want to watch, watch movies where people are pressed together in bars. Which you <laughs> can't do. Exactly. The good old days. <laughs> exactly. The good old days where exactly. you can travel and get drunk on a beach and. <laughs> crowd scenes. We love. We miss crowd scenes. <laughs> oh my gosh! I know. 
we'll have them again someday. Yes, someday, someday. Even if we have to just digitally recreate them. And then someone will sneeze, and then that will be like its own. That that'll be the new horror movie. Instead of gremlins or some other creature, it will be like mucus membrane. <laughs> They'll come out and. Yeah, I mean, I re- I read it script all the time, and you're like, on the subway, uh, and he, you know, coughs, and you're just like, ah. ah. Yeah, I do find it's amazing how quickly we've adjusted. So many movies we're watching, and you, you, it just takes a moment to like go, oh wow, they're they're hanging out in a bar, they're, oh, they're, they're walking all, down a crowded they're, street, and they're all shaking hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Imagine what it'll be like to hug again. <laughs> yes, that'll be fun. <laughs> What's, well, it's what, also like um, another one of my movies is Lost Boys, which I don't know. If, um, I'm assuming you guys have seen that one. But yeah, sure. That, you know, is like, are vampires not going to bite necks anymore? Are they going to find a new way or whatever? Yeah, oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I would think they'd be, they'd be uh, but you don't know. It's a weird virus. Could, could be. Could well, be. But, but vampires are, are known to spread viruses. I mean, that's one of the That's true. Maybe it goes to advantage. The whole yeah. ethos is the spread. They don't care virus. who gets it. That's right. Um, I, yeah, the, the two Corys, I'll call them, I was like definitely obsessed with as well. And I think Lost Boys, I mean, I still love Lost Boys. I still love, I could still watch that movie a thousand times. Um, and funnily enough, when we had when we were at Warner's, we we actually did like sequels to those to Lost Boys. We did Lost Boys. They were they were straight to VOD at the time, but we got to do two of them, and that was kind of like a really fun experience, just reliving it. But also, right. Corey Feldman's in the movies, and Corey Haim was in one of them before he died, and I had very many weird experiences with him. <laughs> sort of living out my childhood. How, how was he? Yeah, was that destroying them? <laughs> They say, don't meet your heroes. No, seriously. I mean, he was totally fucked up. And his mom was like his companion. He was living in the Oakwood in in Burbank. And we tried to get him to be in the movie, but it was like, we couldn't insure him. And uh, I had many dinners. His his mother was like this nice woman who didn't know what to do with herself. But yeah, we definitely got sucked back into that. We tried to make the best of those movies and they're kind of fun. It's fun to shoot low budget and strange places and sure. they're fun experiences. For sure. Back then oh. going VO, you know, VOD was cool. You know, yeah. it was just fun. Instead of everything. Exactly. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, what is next? I think 16 Candles again. Very, very female forward. Um, I mean, all of John Hughes movies are, you know, sort of, I think you could watch a thousand times and you could pick any of them and talk about them endlessly, but Curly 16 Sue. Candles. Yeah. I love Curly Sue. You don't know, <laughs> love them. I hate Curly Sue. <laughs> Let's talk about, yeah, I want to talk about Curly Sue. That's one. That I think because I had really curly hair and I was like kind of a precocious small child, I probably, um, it probably doesn't hold up though. I haven't seen it in a long time. 
Is that once uh, again? I actually do know. I do know a lot of films. I, there are these gaps, so don't don't. But uh, that's Jim Belushi, right? My my incorrect and a and a little moppet with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. that's I, exactly I, the way. I, <laughs> I don't think I ever saw it. Did you see the thing that um, Molly Ringwald wrote a while back about showing her John Hughes comedies to her teenage daughter? And how embarrassed she was. It's really yeah. kind of fascinating. Yeah, no, it's just, it's a real sort of look in just the way times change and, and, and our attitudes about things change and our awareness of things because, you know, it, it's at well, the Well, again, time. it goes back to that whole thing of like women needing rescuing, women, you know, falling for the guy and waiting for the guy and holding to the guy. And then the guy says, I like you. And then like life is good, you know? Right. Um, and I think what I love about that movie too, is just like sort of what's going on in the house and how she's so ignored and no one gives a shit about her. And, and she played that well in all those movies really. It was yeah, like, sure. is she hot? Is she not? Is she the girl next door? You know, what is, um, what is the take on the version of each one? But I think being recognized too, I think it's a very sort of adolescent, uh, he sees me, they see me, they want me. I exist. Um, but yeah, yeah the, uh, all, all of that. Um, well, she had you know, an amazing... sort of idea they forgot her birthday. You know, it's just right. so fucked up. But She had this fantastic quality. I, I, I loved it because there was something about her that, you know, you could, you could as a, as a, I don't say, as a boy or as someone who's attracted mm-hmm. to women, you, you could look at her and go, wow, she's, she's just fantastic looking but in a way that you could delude yourself into thinking that you were the only person sophisticated enough to catch that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were all, we were all in love with Molly Ringwald, but we all thought we were the only people who were that cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I saw a tweet the other day that, um, uh, Jake Ryan was the name of the guy in the movie. I don't know. He never amounted to anything after that. Him and like the kid from Curly Sue, I don't know where they are, but, uh, I think he turned 60 this year. Oh my God. Um, and it was kind of like either 50 or 60. I think it's 60, but it was like, uh, and it was like, it was like, it was just every, every woman was like, oh my God. Cause that was like also, I think, it seemed, seemingly like, like a Ken doll, like the perfect man, right? It was every girl had a crush on that guy. Uh, it's funny just to think back on it, but yeah, that's another weird, um, I guess, what happens to you after nothing happens to him. What was we were just sort of reminds me not to say well, we were oh we were watching Stagecoach the other day Nancy had never mm-hmm. seen it and there's the scene where there, there's the, the woman gives birth to a baby in it and, and it's a lovely moment when they have a close up of the baby and um, uh, Nancy's sitting there going oh he's so cute and I turned to her and I said he's eighty one <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> it's insane. that's scary yeah it's so bizarre. Okay. I, I, um, <laughs> Life goes on. What can I say? It it does. It does. So, what was your favorite John Hughes movie? Bre- Breakfast Club or Sixteen Candles would be my top two. Mine was uh, right. some kind of, some kind of wonderful. Yeah, I mean they're all good. It's hard to except Curly Sue. <laughs> Am I allowed to say Vacation? Yeah, I love Vacation. I haven't rewatched that in a long time. You just want to go to Wally World. That's what. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I can't imagine showing my kid any of these and that she'll care. And I struggle all the time with like the princess movies and the princess, you know, mm-hmm. how I don't want to buy her any of that, but she gets it from her friends or gifts. Mm-hmm. And how do you, um, I mean, the stories are better now. I mean, you could frozen, I guess, and certain things, but yeah, that whole, 
I mean, I, people don't even, they want to take Little Mermaid off of those stations and channels and uh, Beauty and the Beast, all that. I don't know how you, how you change that, but it's a, women are always going to want to be loved by a handsome or man or woman. Like the, the feeling of want, being wanted is sure. never going to go away. So I don't know. Yeah. I think they should just put a disclaimer on every movie made before last year. <laughs> this, yeah, it should just be it. Warning: This movie was made before last year. This movie might exactly. This this movie might offend somebody. Yes, you know? yes. God, that covers it. Yeah. Or like pre woke or whatever. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, none of these are. You know, I would say the next one in it, and my dad did not love films, but I think this was another one he took me to see, which, Raising Arizona, which I don't know if that's one that. I think just the, the it's so crazy um, and so fun and so ridiculous. How could you not love that movie? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's so good too. I mean, it's, um, it's so good. Yeah. Nick Cage is so good. In it. Now Nick Cage is making movies where he's playing himself, making fun of himself. Very odd. Some, some of those are pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. Isn't, uh, I'm isn't not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. It's time for you to say it. I'm not saying it. I'm not going to say it. Oh, go ahead. I'm not going to say it. Come on. Uh, I'm not going to say it. Don't be. It's you don't want to beat your own record. Come on. Say there it. are there are people who do drinking games to the show, Erica, and and one of them is um, I think it's you have to do two shots if the guest brings it up and one if I bring it up. But I one of my favorite movies of all time is Mandy. Oh, I by the way, I've been dying to see it. I haven't seen it. It's. I'll watch it this weekend. Yeah, not with the kids. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it is it is Nicolas Cage at his absolute Nicolas Cageiest. His Cageiest. But the movie he's about to play, he is actually playing himself. Right. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, who else could do that? I, that might top Mandy for you. I don't know. <laughs> it's a it's a career apotheosis. Yeah, I haven't. A couple of my friends are going to work on it, and they oh, said wow. it's the funniest script that they've read in a really long time. Somehow that movie is a uh, is breaking COVID. It's going. It's going to shoot. Well, it's Nick Cage. He's uh, he is on the stock. He doesn't care. I, I saw I've him. Never, once I've never a, looked with him. I've wanted to. Uh, well, here you have to make us a deal. If you do ever work with him, you have to force him to come on this show because we would love to have him. <laughs> but uh, I saw him once with Werner Herzog uh, doing a Q and A. I think I've talked about this before, but it was pretty amazing. And Herzog talked about how he wanted to make a movie about firefighters. And in his Herzogy way, he wanted to wait until fire season in California, and then he wanted to go film in actual forest fires. And he said, there'd probably be insurance problems. And Nicolas Cage was sitting there, and there wasn't a single person in the theater who doubted his sincerity. He said, I will be in that movie. And just the idea of Herzog and Nick Cage running around as California burns, trying to make a movie. It's perfect. A metaphor for life. Makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a metaphor for life. God. <clears throat> well, everyone, I, you know, I have all this Keanu experience, and I have to imagine, like everyone, I, I imagine like it would be similar to that. It would be like amazing. You'd have really good stories. I, I guess. Yeah, I hear he's uh, he's uh, he's a complete monster, right? <laughs> I heard both. You know, no, I, I, I was that, kidding. Keanu. I mean, oh, oh, Keanu. No, Keanu's amazing. <laughs> I thought you meant Nick Cage. No, 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 Keanu is like an angel. Um, he's I've, the best to work I've with. I've never heard a bad thing about him. It's crazy. And then, and then every now and then you hear random stories from people who just had sort of encounters with him in the street, and it's always like he was just going around doing good deeds. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, it's fantastic. 
And then, yeah, I mean, another movie that I don't, I don't know why. I think, think at a certain point, and like later, I, I watched Baby Boom, and it's, it's another one that stuck with me. I, I think it was, watch. It was the sort of career woman, and and understanding that you could do two things at once. Although that movie, she's kind of doesn't continue doing what she was doing, um, but finds a new path and. Yeah. Nancy Myers. I mean, you know, they're they're all like. I think all these movies are sort of parts of pieces of larger, right? Like, it sort of. Then I fell in love with Diane Keaton, and you become part of that. You know, I, there, a lot of these movies. I think I guess the thematic would be they're almost like gateway drugs, right? To sure a, a Ron Howard or or a, or a Julia Roberts or a Joel Schumacher or whatever, you know whatever, and then that sort of builds from there in a world where. I mean, for a long time, I, I didn't really understand filmmakers or sort of follow them or, or understand. And I think films, from what I remember, weren't really branded that way. And, you know, now, much more now or in the 2000s, it's like, from the director of X brings you X. It didn't, right. I didn't, that didn't correlate for me back then. Um, when was the first time the phrase from the visionary director of got used in a trailer? That's what I want to know. Oh, that's a good question. Well, there weren't that many directors that were, they were sold on their own merits. I mean, you know, aside from the Hitchcocks and the John Fords and the people who, you know, were an asset to the advertising. And, you know, it took, it took Hitchcock, uh, he didn't, it wasn't until the the late forties that he actually had a a possessory credit as part of his contract, Alfred Hitchcock's I Confess or whatever. Um, And, and he, he, and he was, you know, very smart to realize that if he merchandised himself as a character, uh, it would made the movies, and that, the TV show really did that. I mean, when he was on Gilbert's sure, yeah. Homes every week, with his with well, his manufactured persona, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and some some other people did that later, but it's it, that's not that common these days. But didn't you feel? I mean, it, you know, you made a ton of movies, and, and like you look at John Hughes, like movies were fat. Was it just faster to to make them and get them out? I mean, everyone seemed so much more prolific back then too. Well, there was a lot more being made, and uh, yeah. it was cheaper to make them, and so you could make more of them. Uh, and if you made a hit, then you got to, then they ask you to make seven more of the same thing. And if you were willing right. to so do you'd that, be in then post, you'd, you'd be in post, and you would already know what your next movie is. There wouldn't be the very same often. Thing. It's, uh, based on yeah. the preview, you you might have another job. You know. Wow. Yeah. Now it's. I think people maybe maybe they're more measured about it too. Like it seems like it becomes there's a complex in the next. I don't know, but you look at the you know how many movies around howard did or how many movies yeah but you gotta remember he was working for a studio the movies were financed you know now now the movies aren't financed now you've got to go and get the movie financed as you well know right that's and that ain't that's not like just going to do the next picture on the warner brothers list you know it's like right and you don't have any studio support you don't have a back lot you don't have all that stuff it's it's every movie is now an indie Right. Yeah. Unless you have like a rogue Netflix deal or something, but yeah. yeah. And there's such anxiety about it. I remember having a, uh, uh, I've had maybe three conversations with him in my entire life, but having a conversation with Jim Cameron while he was um, in post on Avatar. And he was just talking about the way the studio was just beating him senseless on every nickel. And I was just sitting there thinking, this is the guy who did Titanic. And you're, you're, well, they also beat him senseless. <laughs> well, they also, but at least that one made sense. I mean, even though he had hits, it was such an odd thing for people. Like, he's now proven that he can, you know, you should trust his instincts. I would think of all the people on the planet, it would be safe to invest a lot of money in a, 
trusting like, trusting instincts is not a major nobody uh, gets that <laughs> trust yeah it's crazy it's crazy i think like scorsese gets it i think there's like still a handful that probably get it but but he still has to fight tooth and, nail, like fight so. and, and where does he end up he ends up at netflix yeah, you know, because yeah. the movies are so much money that nobody, no single entity will step up and do them. I mean, Woody Allen for a long time had his, you know, his. Well, that's the next one. The Apple Apple came to stood up to the, like massive the uh, Indian one um, when he was doing that because it was like the budget was out of control. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, but then again, it's like studio execs. You know, they got to pay the bill. If they don't give notes, then what are they? It's like this whole right circle um but it's know. usually better to get notes from people that you think know more than you do and that's very that's seldom true. that happens very seldom very seldom and i think that's why we have done very few studio movies in the last few years because you know like it it know, i think our you know a lot of our best movies are when the creative table is very small i agree i think so too so it's hard but but worth it you know but yeah you have the ups and downs of movies falling apart 47 times and the unknown and some people are up for that and just some aren't so can you can you weather that storm right. what we deal with every day aye, aye, aye. i know um i don't know that that was like the 10 that i wrote down i mean you know it's funny you think of like movies that that make you there are movies that I think made me a better executive and movies that made me want to, you know, like you can, I remember watching Jurassic Park and thinking, oh my God, how is that possible? Or even the first Fast and the Furious, when I saw that in theaters, I was just starting out. I was an assistant. Um, I just moved to LA and, and the, the feeling in the movie theater was something that I hadn't experienced in a long time from, you know, was an unknown movie at the time. It was just coming right. out of summer. It was, you know, the the sort of environment, like the 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 vibe in the theater and the the way that it took off, the way it did, inspired me to want to do kind of, you know, the kind of meat and potatoes action movie or or just it's not even action, but just um, I feel like the first Fast and Furious was about was like a family story. Um, but things like that, that have kind of, you know, wanted me to aspire to do something different or, or, or feel different or, you know. Yeah, it's an interesting case, film to yeah. bring up because there's a kind of similarity, I feel like, tell me if I'm wrong, to kind of John Wick because there was not, we weren't quite as franchise happy back then, but that was yeah. happening. But it was this kind of, you know, out of left field, original, not based on anything. Yeah. Um, stars but not giant stars relatively larger budget but not mega budget action film that you're kind of going oh where'd that come from and then yeah. it turned out to be i i'll happily say I, I really enjoyed the first I, i've enjoyed a lot of the fast and the furious movies yeah but it was this yeah. kind of pleasant surprise because you went in and you know you didn't know this could be a catastrophe and and there was something like that For with sure. john wick where it's like that trailer looked good but it's just something like in, in 20, whatever it is, like who makes a non-franchise action film with, you know, right. Reeves, what's going on here? I would and, say another one, like Taken, you know, I think yeah. it was like kind yeah. of a good trailer and like, yeah. you like Liam, Liam's likable, like yeah. Liam's likable, but you weren't But you're rolling the much. dice. You're rolling, rolling the, the dice. dice. And, and that, yeah. and that became, you know, it's always interesting to study movies that become, uh, 
I don't know the term, like become like a, a movie, like I want my John Wick or I want my Taken or I want my, right. you know, it's a franchise. Um, a benchmark. Yeah, yeah. But before it was even a franchise, it was just a type, right? It was a successful, because even right after the first Taken, they were like, I want a movie like that, which of course just means a movie that costs not that much and can be spurned into a franchise and make a lot of money. But um, yeah, Wick, but Wick is also interesting because it didn't make a lot of money in the theater. It made like a decent amount. It made like 40 million which but of course like third you know it was it wasn't massive it was the whole afterlife on uh. vod it was insane on way um but also because it wasn't meant to ever have an afterlife it wasn't like like we shot that ending just because that was sort of like our resources and never thought there would be anything so that that's what's crazy and and we make every every one like there won't be another one. <laughs> it's like we don't know what the stories are um so, but yeah, Taken, I think, yeah, I mean, it's always interesting when movies can sort of punch above their weight, right? And there are zero expectations. And I think that it's it's easier to do that in sort of, I think, in horror and, and I guess genre in general, because there's so much out there and there's zero expectation mostly because there's so many, like when John came out the year or two prior, Satham, and I love Satham and I hope to work with him someday, had put out like seven movies or something crazy, right. Homefront, Man, um, what, and they're, you know, they were sort of like, you, you know, you, you get exactly what you get. There wasn't really anything surprising. They were all okay. It was, there was a bit of fatigue. I think, you know, action, a lot of times genre movies do that too. Like, I think that's why when a, when a horror movie hits, I mean, Get Out is a different story, but when certain ones hit and they become so quiet place, for example, mm-hmm. um, when they can subvert the expected, and do something slightly different, not even majorly different, just some yeah. some hook or some something in there. There's zero expectation. Keanu at that time, let's be honest, like 47 Ronin was had to come out, which was the debacle of all debacles for Universal. Um, he'd done a lot of small movies no one had seen. You know, so and, and Liam was good, but he was older. It was like he wasn't really sort of seen as an yeah. action star. Yeah. yeah, he was like not that guy. So all of a sudden you become this kind of like very relatable, likable star. Um, and I think a, a lot of that is, is the female viewers also. I mean, they love Liam. Women love Liam. Liam loves Keanu. And so how do you bridge that gap? How do you make an action movie that women want to see? I think that's something we talk about and study all the time because that's not, um, and I think that's what they loved about Fast and Furious. It was, it was brother, sister. It was love story. It was, uh, you know, there was like bells and whistles to it but the right. core it was about family so that that's something i study and think about and i'm always trying to figure out what the next uh the next iteration of that is yeah um, with a lot of those movies too there's a pleasing simplicity to them you know they got his daughter yeah. he's gonna get her back i mean this yeah. i you know i don't i you can't overestimate uh or under what can you anyway um i mean they killed his dog man you know, yes. that kept me going for an hour and 45. Well, that's hours. a perfect way to get an audience on your side. Is to exactly. exactly. But I yeah. can't tell you how many people were pitched the, that idea of that movie in like yeah. fun, fundraising and, and all. And like, what? Right. Because it's dog? Is that, it's not like, what? Or, I totally believe it. Dogs. I totally or believe how it. many notes we got along the way of that it wasn't enough, that maybe they needed to take, kill his wife. Maybe they needed to, 
there needed to be another layer that that was too simple. Um, and to be honest, we didn't we didn't see it. We were shooting that dead dog on set, and we're like, is this the worst? There are moments where you're like, is this the moment that's going to like this is the right. worst thing anyone ever have seen? Because this is where gone everybody leaves. Either way, is this where everyone leaves? But right. by the way, we did that. We still thought about that. It wasn't until we previewed for the first time that we really understood that people would accept that. Um, because to be honest, you know, the, the, the director's cut of John Wick was like two hours and 12 minutes and it was sad Keanu, which is its own meme. If you Google yeah. walking around in a very blue movie, it was like, a, it was like a Swedish thriller. And then all of a sudden his dog dies and you're like in another movie. Um, so we never tested well. We always had to like find that happy medium of getting to a 90 minute, whatever, whatever movie. And, um, so you never know. It wasn't until people didn't start walking out and that they were, they bought in. And that's, you know, and that's just about loving a character. I mean, Sucre was the same thing. I mean, that scene where he, where Benicio kills the kids, we shot two ways. We shot a version where he didn't kill the kids. Oh, I would imagine. We, yeah. We didn't know. <laughs> yeah. About I've never, I've never seen that version. I mean, I was on set that night and it was very much the producer's version that was getting that shot. Right. Uh, but I never, I never saw, I mean, besides dailies or whatever, he never cut it in the movie. And when we tested that movie for the first time in Paramus, New Jersey, it was the top rated scene. Um, and again, you were like, who the fuck knew? But they were on that, on that with Benicio. They, they wanted Americans also, and, and the world love revenge, right? So his daughter died with an Nevada basket. I'm going to, I don't care what happens. Or you got my dog. I don't care. We're going on John Wick 4 or 5 from literally an incident that happened three movies ago. I was like, we need something else. Because I think we're running. We may have gotten some good luck, and people are on board with us. But I'm not sure we can kill 187 people or whatever that is, and and just ride on that. I think there's gonna, you know. So we we debate that a lot. But like, John Wick is tricky too. You can't give him a love interest. The whole movies have only transpired over 10 days. You can't give him a cat. Like, what are we doing? So it's a lot of um, wait, wait. Why can't you do that? a cat they kill the cat now it's a whole new thing we gave him a new, we gave him a new dog but That's yeah right. i mean it's um puppies it's i'm telling you puppies, yes yes <laughs> puppies always win oh my god wait wait are you ready the your puppies and then and then uh uh the, someone kidnaps the puppies and he's got 24 hours to get them back. Well, by the way, that's that. Don't you think that's like the problem also in the criticism, like Taken Two and Three God, right? That's the Taken model, like just just how many times did the same thing happen to the same guy? Like, doesn't his like wife get taken? Yeah. I don't even remember. I saw them, but I was like, not. Yeah. Um. So yeah, how do you? And that's franchises, by the way, are its own podcasts and right and, and discussions on how. You know, that that was the crazy thing about making a John Wick 3. And I won't make this whole thing about John Wick, but we were told every day that thirds never work. A lot of times the seconds work because there's a lot of goodwill and you left people hanging and they want to come back for a second. But by the third, but then people are usually disappointed by a second because like the story, you know, you didn't have all the stuff. It didn't hit the same or you don't have the same direct, whatever the the, the ingredients are good, but the cake just doesn't taste as good, whatever. Um, and so thirds, very rarely, you know, sort of hit the box office the way that uh, seconds do. So when we were getting our budget was getting higher and higher and higher. Again, parkour, dogs, and all these things, <laughs> shutting down Manhattan to run down with horses, kicking people in the face. Um, 
you know, we were told all the time. So we're, a, we're an anomaly for a million yeah. bazillion reasons. And we were at the studio that made Hunger Games where like four or five, ten, you know, so we hear it all the time that we're an anomaly, um, which is also terrifying to go into a four and a five and, and, and anything. So we're cognizant of the fact that we've prayed to the movie gods and survived, but I don't know. Yeah. You know, could fight aliens. Good. Zombies. Everybody turns into werewolves. I mean, I gotta recommend if you haven't seen it, and if exactly. people listening have not seen it, just go Google um, "Die Hard 12. It's it's all over YouTube uh, from the old Ben Stiller show, and and it's it's. Oh, is it like a skit they did? Yeah, it's fantastic, and it looks just like a Die Hard movie. And Stiller's playing the Bruce Willis character, and he's um he's in a he's in a grocery store on Christmas Day when uh, Taylor Negron and a group of terrorists take over the grocery store. <laughs> it's just, and he and he says to the camera. How can the same thing keep happening to the same guy over and over and over? <laughs> That's funny. It's pretty That's great. Funny. It's pretty great. Um, well, Erica, thank you so thank much. You. Yeah, that was a blast. Yeah, of course. Was, uh, thank you guys for having joy. me. I, I love. I love. I love that there's all that we can try to draw a line from uh, Pretty Woman to uh, John Wick Three. That, that makes <laughs> very happy. Uh, yeah, the chick from John Wick who was raised by uh, bad eighties <laughs> movies. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I'm uh, sure it wasn't as obscure as some of your other guys, but it was it was fun. It was and, great. And, uh, it was fantastic. So um, good luck. Good wonderful. luck in this crazy business. Thank yeah, you. and I, I hope you I hope you get out to a set soon, and I hope we get to see uh, John Wick four and five soon, sometime. You will. I come back to I'll come back to talk to you guys after those. I'll be, uh, Fantastic. be like, come back and come back in in person in real life. We yes, used to actually talk to people in person. We did. We had a studio. Yeah. It was great. It was so much, so better. much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. It's a date. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.